Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry in association with the Five Reasons Sports Network. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Chris Kaufman and Alfredo Artiaga. And this is the one you've been waiting for. It's the Draft Recap Show. So let's not fanny about, boys. Let's get straight into it. We're going to review a pretty good Dolphins draft in depth very soon. But boys, first up, lasting lasting impressions of the 2018 draft, the most watched draft in NFL history, apparently just been released. What do you go away with? What do you take away from this weekend? I'm going to go, uh, I suppose, the drama around Baker at one and not knowing, nobody knowing, and then the announcement and the kind of the, you love that reaction from the crowd and from Rich Eyes and Mike Mayock. And, 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 you know, it's a cliche, I suppose. It's turning into a cliche, but the... The Shaquem Griffin moment was was pretty tremendous. What about you, boys? Where do you stand? Well, my lasting impression from the draft was the head fake that the Dolphins pulled uh, with the <laughs> quarterback position. I mean, that was that was truly. I mean, you could say that Cleveland pulled pulled a nice stunt with uh, number one overall, and and that's true because obviously John Dorsey kept that under wraps for uh, for a long time. But the Dolphins, all this talk about quarterbacks, quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen. You know, now we're going to look at Lamar Jackson. We like Kurt Bankert. We like, you know, um, Luke Falk bringing him down so many times. But we definitely need to get a quarterback. We need to get a backup quarterback uh, and, and get another guy to add to that room. David we heard Fales it behind that. David Fales is better than most of those those, those second and third day quarterbacks, though, isn't he? I, mean, I don't know about most, but some some of them clearly. But, you know, the, the guys that coming people, out of it, coming out of it with none. Oh. That was odd, right? It was unusual, but I'm not sure it's the the great big drama that everybody's making it out to be. I I think it's a pretty big drama because they they really talked about because it, it wasn't just it wasn't just public; it was also private. We heard about it, you know, behind the scenes. We talked we talked many times about what they're doing back there, what they're looking at. We talked about quarterbacks that they're after, and then all of a sudden, just none. Not even have they even gotten one as an undrafted free agent? I don't think they have none so, so far. So was it? So was it just a massive, massive smokescreen? I think it had to be. It had to be because they can talk about, well, you know, the right one just didn't fall to this pick or that pick or whatever. But that's that's all BS because if they if they had to have one, they would have gotten one. And, well, there was, a, there was know, a story going around that the Dolphins were prepared to move up as high as number four. My thinking is that had Baker Mayfield dropped to number four, then maybe that was the only guy that they would have made a move for. You know, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe even that, given that they didn't get anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, not even not even an undrafted free agent. It actually makes me wonder if they've got something under their sleeve, because not even an undrafted free agent so far. Not even an invite that we've heard about. I think I I think somebody will be coming, but obviously they're they're not pressing on this issue at all. Here's a question for you then. We heard Ian Rappaport say on the Friday night after the Jets drafted Sam Darnold that Teddy Bridgewater's future at the Jets might be in doubt. Do we think that is the reason why the Dolphins? Because we know that the Dolphins had a significant interest in Teddy Bridgewater. Do we think that is the reason why? Could be. Uh, They were rumored to go after him this offseason, but Mm -hmm. he signed that massive contract with the Jets, money that we did not have. Maybe now he becomes more affordable. Although and, it turned out it wasn't that massive, was it? Because no, it was, I mean, no. he's he's only guaranteed about five hundred thousand dollars, which is why his entire future with the Jets is all of a sudden in question. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how I mean, because the Jets have got now Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, 
Christian Hackenberg and Bryce Petty. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not selling Hackenberg or Petty as the, the next Aaron Rodgers, but there's five quarterbacks there and they're all eminently serviceable, albeit some better than, than others. Something's got to go there, hasn't it? And you could you could see a scenario where McCown, Petty and Darnold were the one, two and three and Hackenberg and, uh, and Teddy end up somewhere else. So could that be, that could be a, a potential, couldn't it? A potential. Alf, what about your impressions from the, from the draft this weekend? Well, my, my number one lasting impression was that Zaza the Parrot was a complete, utter failure. Dude, the Parrot paid off. You two suckers <laughs> ran in to watch it tweet on its, or whatever Parrots do. We promoted it. We spent a segment <laughs> we, on it. Yeah, we even promoted it. You just told us that you were outside in the garden, looked through the window, saw the parrot was about to take the stage, bust in like Michael Johnson running the 200 metres in the Olympic to see the parrot make an announcement. So clearly, the parrot was a success. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a great success that way. Maybe she just had cold beak. Maybe she just had cold oh, that's beak. Just, that's awful. That's the but worst. Can we that's cut that? Worst. I mean, I'd rather listen to a full Michael Bolton album. <laughs> My other lasting the... impression was that the Patriots had a pretty good first round. You're, are you a Closet Patriots fan? I think so. Like two weeks ago. I don't think so. Two... He calls the Patriots death like every yeah, but, year. But, but what was it? Two weeks ago, was it? We had this kind of, oh, I want to talk about the Patriots. Let's talk about the Patriots. <laughs> oh, this true. is a Dolphins podcast, dude. <laughs> The obsession with the Patriots is killer me. The it's power Stockholm of the Patriots. Syndrome. <laughs> no, they did have it. And, and Wynn and Wynn and Michelle, I thought were were, were excellent picks. That, that was a um, they, they were two really solid first round picks. I've got to say. What about the Raiders? Do you think they say uh, two teams actually had terrible drafts? There's quite a few teams I thought had good drafts. I didn't think the Raiders had a particularly good draft. Do you think they saved themselves with with the trading for uh, Ryan Switzer and for Martavis Bryant? Well, they're building something I think that kind of interesting helped. with that receiver core now. Like. The, they're they're basically declaring that Carr is going to be the man, and if he's not the man, they're going to look for the man. But they've got some serious talent on the per- perimeter now with those, with those with Amari Cooper and with uh, with Martavis Bryant. I mean, that could be the the, the best one to. And Jordy Nelson. Don't forget Jordy Nelson's there now. And he's five six forty. I think aside though, aside from Maurice Hurst, which is. I think we all would probably say, or at least Simon and I would say, that it's the pick of the draft to get him yeah, in the fifth round. Uh, aside from that, their draft was awful in my mind. Arden Key, I mean, that's quite an interesting thing. Get Arden Key's head straight. Because, Chris, you and I, like, two years ago, you and I sat yeah. at your in-laws and watched Arden Key for LSU absolutely dominate. Mm-hmm. We looked at each other at times during that game and were like, that kid is really, really special. Against Auburn, Be- that, that kid was really good. Partly because he was so young, though. He, yeah. When you're so young and you stand out because you're that tall and you know that that explosive and everything, then, then immediately your head has to perk up because you're thinking, my goodness, what is he going to be in two years or three years? Well, we found out what he is in two years, and it wasn't good. Um, that that's my problem with Arden Key. Like I watched him on on tape over and over, and I just I just didn't like what I ended up seeing. So they were they go all the way up and and take Colton Miller at fifteen. PJ Hall, I, I like PJ Hall, but they took him in the second round. That's a measurables pick only. If you watch him play. I mean, there's a little bit of like you know Marvin Austin in there uh, with him, and and it's not it's not as good as as you might think just from the measurables. Brandon Parker was a, a, a small school guy that again measurables, big body and everything. But when I watched him, I, I just I just it didn't all come together. And then uh, and then Arden Key, the guy I I mean that's one of the person people that I love to pick on. And you know finally they took Maurice Hurst, and I was like, oh, you got a good pick, finally. I have a question for, for you guys. 
Does it make you two questions? Does it make you nervous at all that Josh Sweat was taken by the Eagles and they declared him today completely healthy and ready for camp? And the other one is what happened to Lorenzo Carter? I don't think I have an issue with. Um, I mean, I don't think Sweat. There was an issue with Sweat's knee per se beyond what happened a couple of years ago with the dislocation and the potential nerve damage. So, uh, I the mean, near I think, amputation. Yeah, and the near amputation. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I think that's going to be a bit like a Jay Ajayi and his knee that we always talked about mm-hmm. potentially not being very well and sort of begun to see that bear out a little bit. But I kind of, Sweat's knee will be fine until it's not fine because mm-hmm. when your knee is made of cheese, then that's kind of what happens. Cheese melts kind of thing. Um, what was the other one? Lorenzo Carter. I don't, uh, that one that one was that one was uh, weird to watch it go all I the wonder, way down yeah i wonder if it was uh, i wonder if just some teams really were were worried about that uh, about that injury because but you, you know it was even weirder because you know lorenzo carter we could kind of question whether it was the rumors about the knee and the flagging that we heard beforehand from tony pauline but what was weirder to me was harrison phillips did you see where he finally went yeah it was almost the- almost out of the top 100 Mm-hmm. Kyle Williams replacement for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean he he is a fantastic player. We talked about the fact that he led his defense in tackles as a defensive tackle. I mean the guy is off the charts run stop, uh, and and he's got a pretty good body. You know he's got a pretty good playing style. It's not something that doesn't make sense, and yet he goes almost out of the top 100. It, it was it was crazy. What about the Saints? What my fi- my final one? What about the Saints who I, I didn't think had a particularly good draft? Do you, they went? They traded up for Marcus Davenport, gave up next year's number one to the Packers, came back with Traquan Smith of Central Florida in round three, a very early and odd pick of Rick Leonard, the Florida State tackle in in round four, um, Natrell Jamison in five, um, and Cameron Moore of BC in six, Boston Scott of Louisiana Tech in six, uh, and then Will Clapp might even have been their best pick, in, you know, apart from Davenport, obviously. But you give up that one and was a bit of questionable. Mm-hmm. Do you think? My question is: Do you think that the Saints almost uh, get a mulligan this year, given how incredible that draft was last year? I mean, that that last year was a draft for the ages. It was as good as some of the best 49er drafts that Bill Walsh had back in the day when Steve, when he drafted Steve Wallace and Tim McKay and Don Griffin and. And those players, because, you know, Anzalone and Marcus Williams and Alvin Kamara and Ryan Ramchick and Marcus Lattimore. Do you think that almost you're allowed mulligans in the draft, given how amazing it was last year? It feels like they didn't miss. They didn't capitalize on last year's draft, but they sort of screwed the pooch a bit this year. No, I don't think they get a mulligan. Uh, If you if you Mm -hmm. look at that team, uh, the clock's ticking. You know, Mm -hmm. Drew Brees is not going to play there forever. Mm -hmm. So it was an ambitious move. I really would have understood the move if it was for a ready made player. Like, let's say they needed a running back and they went crazy to go after Saquon Barkley. That would have made a lot of sense. But Marcus Davenport's a guy that you said, Simon, that, you know, he's not ready to produce big numbers this mm-hmm. year. So it's more of a future move. I like yeah. the player. I, I don't like giving up, you know, future first-round picks unless it's for a, a quarterback. You know, I, I what just does this, do it for anybody. Except what does this remind you of, though? Does this remind you of something? You know, yeah. who's in New Orleans? Who's Jeff in New Orleans Ireland. right now? Jeff Ireland is in there. Yeah. What does this remind you of? He had a he's bang still up chasing, draft. He's still chasing Demarcus Ware. Oh, he, he had a bang. He had a bang up draft in Miami in 2012. I mean, we all we all really liked that draft. That was yeah. the year that we brought in Tannehill. We got Lamar Miller in the fourth round. You know, we got Olivier Vernon. That ended up working out really well for us. Uh, that was, I believe, that was Rashard Matthews in the it in was, the late. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so he had a really great draft. It was one that we all felt really good about. And then the following year, the I've got picks and money year, he follows it up with <laughs> trading up for Deion Jordan 
And really the rest of the draft all sucked too. So, I mean, it was, that's what this reminds me of. He, he had a really great draft last year in New Orleans and they followed it up with this one, trading up for Marcus Davenport and giving away that future first round pick. I do like Marcus Davenport. Um, I think he's going to pan out, but they gave up a high price for him. And then the rest of the draft, I'm not really sure about the rest of that draft, to be honest. I mean, it's not, you know, maybe we'll clap toward the end of it, but there's a lot of guys that I'm not really that sure about there. So okay. reminds well, me of that. One, one last thing before Chris introduces a new sponsor to the show. Uh, what do you guys make of the Darius Geis uh, controversy? Yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, I don't know about you, Chris. I thought there was some... There were some social media people who had had a pretty bad run over mm-hmm. the three-day weekend in terms of, you know, a lot of people bigging up a lot of stories that didn't pan out even close to how they were supposed to pan out. A couple of people who should delete their accounts, I reckon. Um, <laughs> but uh, the guy's story is fascinating because it's a difficult one, isn't it? You know, he father shot dead when he was very young. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a, you know, in a tough, you know, I've been to the area that he grew up in. It is not a nice part of, you know, I mean, I, I was told explicitly, do not go there after dark. It's not a nice place to go to. Um, and it's pretty, it's not particularly nice during the day. Um, you know, Geist is a, he's a, a different personality, a flamboyant personality. You only have to look at his social media to see it was like, he's very um, ebullient and out there on social. Um, so, and that kind of thing doesn't particularly sit well. I don't know whether or not that argument happened with Deuce Staley. Listen, if I'm Darius Geis, I'm not the only person in the NFL I'm not taking on is Deuce Staley. He's one of the few people you, you just don't get in a fight with. I mean, Joey Porter, Deuce Staley, a couple of others, <laughs> that, you know, Dan although, Campbell. Although, yeah. uh, to be clear, uh, Pro Football Talk says that the fight did not occur with the Eagles. It occurred with the Colts. Well, so, you take either, that I, you can take either that way, I, I think... I think that where there, you know, I, I hate this. I really hate this phrase, but I think there's sort of a where there's smoke, there's fire situation going on here because you've got a couple of these incidents sort of popping up and being talked about. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, aside from these things, people, you know, teams were finding out things from people around the program that maybe he's just not as serious as some other guys, maybe he is prone to these weird, you know, bits of of maybe lying or, or outbursts of anger or things like that. Um, he went down at 59 for a reason. Uh, I don't think it was because of a false report about a fight with uh, the Eagles or the Colts or whoever it was, or whether it was false or not. I really don't know. I don't think, you know, I think there is a reason that he went down at 59 overall. But I want to transition us because we do have a new sponsor. And I want to talk about them. Are you a business owner? Do you need expert help with bookkeeping, payroll, virtual CFO, or analytics services so that you can focus on growing that business? You need to hire Analytic. They'll take care of day-to-day concerns while giving insights about your company for better long-term decisions. You can find them at analytic.io. That's A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-Q dot I-O. Or you can call 1-800-823-6320. Say five reasons sent you, and if you sign up or refer someone who does, you'll receive a $200 Amazon gift card. So, now that we've talked a little bit about the stories of the draft and some of the things whoa, that surprise us. Rewind, rewind. $200 from Amazon. I'm, I'm 200 I'm Just, just straight up. Oh, great. Now, now our podcast is making Jeff Bezos more rich. <laughs> there's a load of po- there's a load of box sets. I can't get I can't get that guy out of my life. But patently, it's Jeff Bezos and the Patriots, mate. You're upset, yeah. and that par- and that parrot. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Michael. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about the 200 pound. Yeah, 
just imagine how many Michael Bolton albums you could buy with the two hundred dollars from Amazon. You could buy two hundred albums with two hundred dollars. Anyway, now that we've talked about the stories of the draft and some of the things that surprised us, some of the things that uh, we wish maybe we would have seen or that uh, we saw other teams do, I want to get into what we actually did. And that was at the number 11 pick overall, we took Alabama defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick. And Alf, I want to get your feelings on this first. Uh, Were you surprised by this? I don't think you were surprised very much at all. But uh, you and I picked Roquan Smith as sort of the guy that maybe the Dolphins might move a few things to try and get. That didn't end up working out. Were you disappointed or were you surprised? What were you? No, I was very pleased. I was very pleased, but uh, I must say they were offered the number eighth pick by uh, by the Chicago Bears. I guess the Bears bought into all the quarterback hype. As I am told, the Dolphins politely declined, and they just took the they just took the guy that really checked every single box. You wanted versatility. You wanted a single high safety. You got him. You want to play forty four looks at, with him as a Gator back. You could do that. You want to play a fifty two look with him as a monster. You can do that too. You want him to, to guard tight ends. He can do that. So, you know, he's a leader. Great measurables. Great player. A lot of big plays. His highlight film speaks for itself. Yeah, there's nothing to, to not be happy about. It's you, you got a premium player at number 11. Simon, what did you, you, you thought, you and I, I, I mentioned, I, I thought Al, or Alf had said this, but it was actually you and I that both said Roquan Smith uh, at the number 11 pick or in a trade-up. Uh were you surprised hearing what Alf said that, you know, we were offered the number eight pick and not even for a very expensive price. And they stood pat and they said, no, nope, we're going to take Minka. I mean, you've got to look at, you've got to look at Fitzpatrick because not only is he one of the cleanest prospects, he's also one of the best players in the draft. I mean, Ray Lewis said he was the best player in the draft. Um, uh, you know, and that's whatever we think about some of the things that Ray Lewis has done with his life. You know, mm-hmm. one thing Ray Lewis does know is football. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and we know, and we've watched Minka enough, and we've talked about, you know, let's not, you know, we're not trying to blow our own trumpets here uh, and try and claw back some ground. And Alf Is that the called, little English trumpet? That's the little English <laughs> trumpet. It's a it's, it's slightly bigger English trumpet. I'm going to big myself <laughs> up. Um, but um, well reminded. Good, good catch. Um, you know, we, we've, it's not like we haven't talked privately and on this podcast, but privately for the last two years, really, about how good Fitzpatrick is, how he fits so well with everything that we look to do, the fact that he can play those six positions on the back end and some linebacker, uh, uh, but also a kind of not just the on field stuff, but his persona, his professionalism, his approach to the game, his approach to life. You know the work, community service work he does, and his work ethic. And you know, I spoke to a I spoke to a journalist at Alabama last week, and he told me that he called Minka. Sorry, the day after, the morning after the 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 2016 national championship loss to Clemson, and he in fact he called all the defensive backs on the Alabama team to talk to them, and he spoke to nine of them, or nine of, nine out of ten of them were in bed, or had just woken up, or were having breakfast. The tenth was Minka Fitzpatrick and he was already down at the practice facility and he's been working out for an hour and a half already and you just think what a phenomenal I mean this is a phenomenal this is where they were staying this wasn't back on Bama campus you just think that's the kind of guy that he is do you know what I mean a guy that mm-hmm. having lost he just wanted to make himself better and for me he is just I mean I think the Dolphins must just have been I know Chris Greer and Tannenbaum said afterwards they they couldn't believe that he was there. And frankly, I couldn't quite believe that he was there. And it was just uh, serendipity, I think, that it just managed to, to, to fall to us. I mean, look, and I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but, you know, he's only the third player in college football history, history, 
to win the Thorpe and the Bednarik Award. The previous two players to win both awards in the same season, can you name them? Hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to. Yep, nine-time okay. Pro Bowler Charles Woodson and seven-time Pro Bowler Patrick Peterson. Now that's pretty elite quality. And I remember last season I was at the Mississippi State game and Alabama came back to win. And you, when you're in the press box, you get to go. You go down on the sideline for the fourth quarter and you stand on the sideline. And not only do you, there are so many things going on. I mean, Startville ridiculous in itself. The noise is insanity. The hitting power that you see on the sideline is like something even it's totally, totally different. But at the end of the game, Mississippi State had a Hail Mary to win it. Nick Fitzpatrick had a Hail Mary and he threw it out the back of the end zone and they lost. And it had been a great game. And Bama kept the number one ranking and just sort of hung on on an incredible day of college football upsets. And as you walk onto the field, everybody goes onto the field. And Fitzpatrick was on his haunches because, you know, they just just been beaten they, they Calvin Ridley scored the game winner right at the end of you know 15 seconds to go or whatever and whilst all the Bama players are celebrating and, and Dan Mullen and uh, and Saban go out to the middle I saw Fitzpatrick and he wasn't celebrating with his teammates where was he any idea no idea he, he hunted out Nick Fitzpatrick to find him and to console him and to congratulate him on the hell of a game that he played. And that just struck me as uh, he could have been hanging out with his teammates. He could have been celebrating the fact that Alabama had survived in that incredible atmosphere, jumping up and down, rolling around. No, he went to find the guy that had given that defense hell all day to congratulate him, to pat him on the back and to try and lift him up. That to me just said, spoke volumes about the kind of guy that Minka Fitzpatrick is. And I just think he's just going to be a, I, I cannot see how he's not a phenomenal player for the Dolphins. I really can't. I just think the Dolphins could have done anything with the remaining six, seven picks that they had. I think just Fitzpatrick gives that draft just a, you know, a B, B plus straight off the bat, regardless of what's happened, because he's so good. I think he's just going to, I think he's going to be a transcendent player for this, for this team. If he's used correctly, I just, I was absolutely over the moon with the pick. Well, uh, uh, getting to that point, uh, used correctly, how do you think he's going to be used immediately? I mean, where I do you see him getting his thousand snaps? I assume he's going to be the free safety, right? I mean, I assume that, you know, we talked about this on the first couple of podcasts, the the Adam Gaze face pull when he talked about TJ McDonald and, and how disappointed he was with Rashad and TJ not working out together as they had worked out together in the summer. And I think I think TJ becomes a box linebacker, a nickel linebacker. Um, and I think Minka allows Rashad then to, to, to do what he does best, which is to freelance within the parameters of the defense. And we say freelance, but that, that's not really what he's doing. But, you know, Rashad is a a better downhill player, isn't he? And it allows Minka to control that back end because he can play single high as a, as a free safety. And he looks and he moves like an Earl Thomas type player. And, it, it, you know, it will allow those two, those two bigger safeties, the, the, you know, the flashy kind of hitting safeties in Jones and, uh, and I suppose to more of an extent, TJ in that box to do that work in and amongst the, in and amongst the front seven whilst, whilst Minka controls the back end. He may, he may, you know, move across to, you know, he may move across and play dime corner if needed. But that to me is exactly what I don't think we'll see him on the boundary as, as a cornerback. I, I really don't think that. And I know the team announced it will play free safety, but I do think they'll move him around because you want to make use of his ability to blitz off the edge. He's really good at blitzing. Rashad also very good at blitzing. Bobby McCain, very good at blitzing. We just can disguise what we do so much better. And it's just, it's going to give us, you know, it's going to give us the opportunity to do so much without having to change personnel. So it's going to confuse a lot of the quarterbacks we play. Alf, what do you reckon? Where do you think he'll play? Oh, I think he's going to play almost everywhere. But one one area I think he's really, really going to help us is in a 52 monster look, him on the line, explain on the goal to, line. Explain to listeners what, what a 52 monster okay, look is. Okay, a 52 look, monster is, is pretty simple. It's, it's just a 4-3 stack, but 
you're in a 52 alignment, and then the strong safety is always going to move to the weak side. Okay. Uh, some coaches like to to play them head up on on the inline tight end. You know, usually the Y on the strong side, but uh, the Dolphins use Rashad a little bit. And if you've seen Rashad the last few years in that 52 look on the line, he gets beat pretty bad in the red zone, especially mm-hmm. on fades and 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 simple bow outs. So I would say he I- takes that responsibility now. And Rashad moves more as a as a back line guy so he doesn't is, that, is that the alignment is that the alignment that that miami were in i i remember kansas city specifically attacked rashad early in the game uh yes. they made they made it a point and it was yes. two tight end sets yes. and and yeah i think that's that's it i think so I'm with i you think there. that what they're gonna do is that they're gonna flip-flop the guys now especially the, in the red zone especially the pro, in the red zone what kansas city did so well is they played because 52 seems to to fall down a little bit with balanced offensive formation. So when you play two by two, so why so it works really well against, but when you play two by two formation, mm-hmm. that that's when it tends to have slightly more difficulty because somebody tends not to be in a match, you know, in a perfect matchup situation. But I agree that, you know, especially if you can get Rashad as, as the monster, as the strong safety, I think that, you know, it opens up a, lot, a, a whole lot of opportunities. I think that uh, when we look, I, we said this before, when we fast forward beyond the draft, if we look back, and Minka Fitzpatrick was the guy we're going to say that was in front of us the whole time. And it was in front of us the whole time. Uh, for me, it's going to come down to, I'm going to look at, you know, and this is for years to come. I'm going to be looking at Derwin James versus Minka Fitzpatrick because for me, Derwin was the better player. Although Minka was the more, um, the more immediate scheme fit. Uh, so I'm going to be looking at those two. I know that a lot of other Dolphins fans out there were big fans of Derwin James. And so they're probably going to be looking at those two as well. But I will say that I'm really glad that this was a defensive back. Because I think that unit is underinvested. I think the Dolphins are operating or have been operating sort of a, a, a you know, Neolithic offense or sorry defense uh the last couple of years and yeah because of the way that they use their linebackers or overuse their linebackers and that they don't use three safety looks at all which the rest of the league is or just about the rest of the league are doing they don't use hybrid players at all which you know the teams that aren't using uh the the three safety look are using those hybrid players the Dolphins haven't been using either, and that made them one of only a company of only you know two or three teams, and it's not good company. So they were the slowest defense in the NFL last year. What they needed to do is get more investment on the back end so that they can use more defensive backs, use some dime personnel at times, and I think Minka Fitzpatrick helps them do that. Specifically, you look at TJ McDonald, and they weren't happy with the communication between McDonald and Rashad as the two safeties. I think that now you have McDonald up closer to the line of scrimmage more uh, more consistently, and I think it starts to make sense. Those, those dime personnel packages might make enough sense that they'll actually dip into them. We'll have to see. We'll find out quickly, I think, in preseason whether they're actually dipping into this. I hope they are. Thematically, going with a defensive back, uh, safety in particular, is very heartening on that front. I look at the defensive weaknesses, the four of them. We keep talking about them over and over again, and they are the pass defense out of base, run defense out of nickel, the third and long defense, which was the worst in the league, and the red zone defense, which was almost the worst in the league as far as touchdown conversion rate. I see Minka Fitzpatrick immediately having an effect 
on at least the run defense in the nickel and the red zone defense. I think that if they do start dipping into these three safety looks and these dime looks more often, then we're going to see an effect on third and long as well. That's another piece of low-hanging fruit. But this was a guy that was, uh, you know, pro football focus had him tied for sixth among all the corners and uh, perimeter stops in particular. That's what I look at in the run defense out of nickel. Suddenly you've got somebody that can come from the perimeter uh, and and hit and really uh, be part of the support there. And then as for the pass defense out of base, well, that's what we have to find out. Is he going to take the starting job? away from T.J. McDonald totally, or is it going to take half the season? Will we see when they put out their base personnel, their 4-3, uh, are they, are, is Minka Fitzpatrick going to be out there with Rashad Jones as the second safety, or is it going to be T.J. McDonald? I will bet you a steak dinner that Minka Fitzpatrick is the starting free safety in week one of the season. I cannot envisage a single, unless he's injured, a single scenario with which his talent, work ethic, uh, is, is not going to have him in a starting position by week one. And can I just read you this? This is an article I dug out today when I was just researching. Rich Hansen likes to tell the story of when the Marauders won the High State Championship Minka's senior year. Hansen called the next morning to congratulate his star. Unfortunately, Minka couldn't talk. Guess what? Again, he was in the middle of a workout. He went spring break of his senior year, standing on the sideline at Crimson Tide practice, preparing himself for the fall when he would play. He uses his Sundays to watch film with the coaches, Alabama staffers trade stories of walking into a dark Malmore athletic complex late after hours to find one screen ablaze with me, with Minka Fitzpatrick pausing and rewinding the only player in there after midnight. In fact, the only player in there in the evening. He is the standout of our program, says junior running back Damian Harris, who credits his, his success this year to his off season of working out with Fitzpatrick. Teammates refer to Minka as Coach Saban's son because he's the only person whose performance reliably makes the famously stone-faced coach smile. This kid is the bomb. I was going to swear then. This kid is the bomb. <laughs> he is the absolute bomb. Well, I think yeah, we can all I agree think... that... that... Miami has definitely improved their secondary. And another thing that's definitely improved is the skyline around the American Airlines Arena. And that's where I'm going to get into our one of our latest sponsors, which is X-Miami. The new X-Miami apartment community is the most fun and convenient place to live for modern Miami locals. Located right across from the American Airlines Arena, rents starting in the 1200s include a huge gym, two-level co-working space, an epic pool deck, and a lobby with a coffee shop and cocktail lounge. Manage your keys, packages, and thermostat using a game-changing mobile app. You can rent an apartment furnished or unfurnished, or rent by bedroom. Learn more at xmiami.co. That's xmiami.co. Mention five reasons to get an exclusive discount at Movin. And who knows, maybe Minka Fitzpatrick will be moving in there pretty soon. Maybe he will. Can I just tell you? I, that, think, I think Minka Fitzpatrick is going to live in the training facility from everything yeah, in here. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. He'll be, he'll be buying a uh, blow-up bed, and he'll be in with the with the coaches. <laughs> Can I just just uh, uh, just a quick story? Going back to lasting impressions, because I meant to mention this there. Ian Rappaport tweeted this, and uh, and indulge me here. Ian Rappaport tweeted the 2018 draft is over, and here is my favorite tidbit. In several facilities, Notre Dame guard Quentin Nelson was nicknamed Earl Grey or some rare variation, because all he did on field was teabag dudes after he drove their faces into the turf. <laughs> well, Sorry, I just have to get that in there. Yeah, well, that brings us to day two. 
Uh, <laughs> what a segue. What a way, what what a a way segue. to bring us in today, too. What, what a, a segue. segue. So the Dolphins let's take... Let's on the at, subject of teabagging dudes. Yeah, let's look at some yeah. of the nut sacks we took on, the day, on day two. <laughs> okay, so the Dolphins take Minka Fitzpatrick at 11. So obviously we're all sitting around and we're saying, okay, we need a linebacker and we absolutely need a tight end. And they come away with Mike Gusecki and Jerome Baker. What do you make of it, Simon? I, I think we talked about this beforehand, and Chris and I talked about this earlier on WhatsApp. I think the, these two picks were a classic case, analysis by paralysis. We ignored the stuff that was totally and utterly in front of our noses. You know, Gusecki didn't come from left field, but we all thought it was probably going to be Dallas Goda and Dallas Goda and Dallas Goda. And we talk about why ISO and that formation with the with the tight end on one side and three receivers on the other, and it's going to be go. And then you think, and then Gasicki is the pick, and then you think, oh yeah, Gasicki is the perfect why ISO tight end. I mean, why didn't we think of this earlier? I mean, he's you know he's absolutely made for playing this position. And then you think Jerome Baker. Oh no, let's let's talk about Roquan Smith and let's talk about you know. Tremaine Edmonds, and let's talk about all these other dudes, and Fred Warner, and uh, and, and uh, Darius Leonard, and, and ignore Jerome Baker. And then you think, oh no, wait! In 2016, Jerome Baker played alongside Raekwon McMillan, and the pair of them were absolutely fantastic. And we're looking for a, a, a three-down sideline to sideline coverage linebacker. Hmm. Let me think. No, let's not. Let's not talk about. Do you know what I mean? We totally ignored the two guys that were right under our noses, and that's you know. I kind of feel like, damn, we kind of whiffed on them. And well, I mean, we you brought that up. You brought no, that absolutely. up, didn't you? you? You brought that up beforehand uh, about how every year, you know, we talk about the disinformation yeah. season and, you know, not to we believe everything. We fall it. for it every time. And we we fall again. for <laughs> We, we fall for the rumor mongering with Dallas Goder. I mean, that was all rumor mongering. That was, a, you know, we're visiting with him. We've got interest in him, you know, so and so and so. Uh, Fred Warner and, you know, those guys were, were again, rumor mongering. You know, they visited with this guy. They they're interested in this guy, supposedly, from what we're hearing. Um, but then the other thing that happened with Jerome Baker is that, you know, we had our eyes on on the top dogs. Right. Yeah, the top absolutely. dogs in the at the, the position. And then we kind of forget to to think about and mention some of those second tier guys. You just and go back. I, to Yeah. You go back to 2016. You look at the, you look at the. Um, you look at the Michigan tape and, you know, as we discussed, Roquan and Jerome Baker caused absolute havoc and it was right under our noses and we just didn't see it partly because we were looking at the top guys, but it's one of those just things that happens draft time. We just tend to, we tend to miss the obvious. Then once it's happened, we're like, ah, oh, damn shucks. It's <laughs> we've been, we've been hoodwinked again, but I like both the picks. I think just, you know, Jaziki, the more you watch him, you know, I've seen a lot of him, obviously he does remind you of Jimmy Graham. He's not going to block anybody. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not, you know, who cares? I mean, that's what Durham Smythe was taken for. We'll talk about him later on. You know, Jasicki is going to be an absolute matchup nightmare. And, I, and look at the players we've now got to throw to. Smythe and himself. Drake out the backfield. You know, Kenyon's a great receiver out the backfield. Now you've got Jasicki. Now you've got Amandona. You've got Wilson. You've got Parker. You've got Kenny Stills. You've got Jakeem Grant. Potentially, you know, Carew. I mean, the the the, Dolph- the way the Dolphins are going to line up, it, it's almost going to be drive by drive, possession by possession, that they completely change the face of what they're able to do. You, you might see one package on one drive, and a totally different package of players on, on another drive, and then you can flip to a, a, almost another package of players on a third drive. It's going to be, I think, it's going to be fascinating to see, and it's really, uh, and as the off season goes on, I'm sure we're going to dive more and more into things like formations and how we might do these sorts of things, but fascinated by how that could work in terms of the different machinations of uh, of players that will line up on different drives different downs different series and then baker i think you know he will come in and he will 
be exactly what we expect him to be a super fast much stronger than you'd expect six pounds lighter than Roquan Smith sideline to sideline chase linebacker a tremendous tackler you know we commend Roquan Smith on his tackling ability Jerome Baker can really tackle can blitz can make plays one-handed interceptions we've seen you know had a down year that Chris is going to talk about in a little while and down year I think a little bit in 2017 perhaps a little bit of a stylistic change in Greg Schiano's defense but the more I watched the 2016 tape of Jerome Baker, the more I thought to myself, okay, you know, we've got two really, there's two really, really good players here. Chris, what do you think? I think a couple of points. And, uh, and first off, I want to say, you know, just to compare and contrast, we're talking, we talked about Minka Fitzpatrick and we talk about Mike Gesicki. Um, I, in my opinion, in my experience, when we talk about the great players in the NFL, uh, and I'm not calling any of these guys great players, but when we look at the great players in the NFL, they're always a freak in some way, right? They're always, they always have something about them, whether it's their physical abilities and, and they're being just an athletic freak or whether it's their, you know, their work ethic abilities, uh, and, and them being a freak in the, the weight room and their just total commitment you know, like Cameron Wake, he's he's the bars by which everybody will measure themselves, really. Um, I think that Minka Fitzpatrick is probably the latter, and Mike Gesicki is the former, because he is an athletic freak, an animal. I mean, he is he is really, he tested off the charts everywhere, but even before you get in, the, I, I first caught, he first caught my eye in 2015. I was looking at 2015, he only had 13 catches, but, you know, I was looking at uh, tight ends uh, back in the 2015 tape, and I saw this guy and I also saw his basketball tape because I think that's that's required background when you're looking at some of these tight ends. Uh, and I was looking at his background tape and I was and I was looking or a basketball tape and I was looking at his uh, 2015 fa- tape. And I said, you know, this guy's going to be high when when the time comes because he is an athletic freak. And that's what he did. That's what he did at Penn State. He's been uh, the main guy or one of the main guys on their offense for two years. I like that. The fact that he had a bullseye on him uh, in the passing game because uh, because everybody knew he was coming, especially after 2016, heading into 2017. Um, I, I think that you look at him, he only had like three drops this year. He had uh, a pro football focus as the highest contested catch rate. I'll trust them on that because they track these things. Um, his he's got such a great basketball like feel for the lanes and spacing, which is which is what makes him so much different from other athletic freaks that we talk about and you know like uh, Michael Agnew was sort of an athletic uh, testing freak but he didn't really have a feel for the lanes and creating spacing and you know how to leverage a defender I mean Mike Gesicki knows how to work a defender I was just showing you know you Simon and and Alf you guys um, video earlier about the way that he can uh, the way that he can fake out a defender and the way that he can leverage him and get down the field and he can finish. I mean, for a tight end, we talk sometimes about um, route running and stuff like that. But I think for a tight end, you really just have to have a feel for the spacing and the lanes and how to work the defender. Um, and then you just have to be able to finish and be he's an always, athlete. He's always and, open as well, isn't he? And he yeah, he, he is. Even when he's not open, he's open because his yeah, ability that's to right. out and his size. Look at, Look at this year. Look at from the uh, if you want to know what games to watch this year. And I thought this was a really great comparison 
uh, compare contrast uh, because look at the Michigan game this year and look at the Ohio State game this year. I mean, he only had like two catches for 52 in the Michigan game. Uh, but in the Ohio State game, he had more like six catches. I think it was my, maybe 67 yards, something like that. Um, they they both attacked him differently. That's why it's a great uh, contrast. They you know Michigan had more linebackers on him. Uh, Ohio State, you know, they use generally they use more uh, mem- secondary uh, in in their defense, and so they had more defensive backs on him. None of it worked because in the Michigan game, he only had a couple of catches, but he was running free all day long. He looked like an animal out there. And you had to be watching that as an NFL coach and saying, oh, my God, you know, what could I do with that? Um, and it wasn't just because straight line speed. It, it was because he had a feel for the spaces. It was because he could, you know, leverage defenders and fake them out. Um, he was really just running free all over the place. That's a really good point because um, we were talking about this earlier. Anybody that wants to, any Dolphin fan out there that wants to see a little bit more of these two guys and see them on the field at the same time, watch that game from this past October. Ohio State, Penn State, and look at Saquon Barkley. He had 21 carries for 44 yards. And trust me when I tell you that Jerome Baker had a lot to do with that. Now, the flip side of that is, well, you know, if Saquon Barkley couldn't really run that much, was Mike Gusecki getting blown up? No, he wasn't. If you watch that game, they used him on wham blocks seven times in that game. Because I, I watched mm-hmm. it, I watched that game earlier today because I wanted to refresh myself on these two guys. And he hit every single one of those blocks. It was just overwhelming Ohio State speed that was getting the sack one and stopping him. And mm-hmm. trust me, Jerome Baker was a huge part of that. But that's a game that, that I would suggest uh, all Dolphin fans, if you want to watch the sa- you know watch the two guys on the same field, watch that game. And you're gonna get a feel for who these guys are. They're they're kind of special. Baker also well, has that ability, doesn't he, to play that sort of Shaq Thompson kind of hybrid role, doesn't he? Like, yeah. You know, Shaq was undersized, had the same sort That's of right. same sort of speed, same sort of physical ability. And one thing that this defense is is almost certainly now going to be, and we'll talk about some of the fast guys that they drafted on day three as well. Th- this defense is now fast. You know, it wasn't mm. fast. It was slow and cumbersome. But you get Raekwon back. You get Baker. You get Minka Fitzpatrick. You get the kid that we drafted from Southern. If he makes the roster in, you know, with the four three seven, this team can this team can run now. All of a sudden, there's some there's some pace on this team. Uh, when he gets a fumble recovery or an interception, uh, watch out because he, he, I mean, he has an offensive background. He was a two way player in high school. Yep. You know, ball carrier, big time playmaker. And when he get, you can tell, you can just see it in the player when uh, when they get an interception or when they get a fumble recovery. Some of these guys really just kind of. You know, I'm going to fall to the ground a little bit or I'm going to go out of bounds. And some of the guys just light up like they're a punt returner now. This is a this is a punt returner type, except he's a linebacker. And that's one of the three things that I like so much about him. Uh, the second being, obviously, uh, he's he's fast. I mean, he's a he's a speedy guy. Yeah, and you can speed. see that. Yeah, you, you can. I mean, that's. You talked about it now. The defense, the slowest defense in the NFL last year now has options to put a third safety on the field and get faster that way. And they also have options to keep linebackers on the field and be fast that way. So now you're, you're getting into the 21st century as a Miami Dolphins defense. One of the strengths that I see for Jerome Baker is actually his strength and the way that he uses his hands and can get off of blocks. Um, most of the time, some of the times I, I, I grant that it doesn't look as pretty as it does at other times, but 
I was initially struck by how this fast guy, we're talking about a hybrid guy, and we're used to guys like this at Ohio State in the mold of like a Darren Lee. Um, I was struck by how strong he was uh, when he would take on blockers. And he would sort of be able to take them on with one hand and and really keep them at bay and sometimes knock them knock these 300 pounders to the ground. Uh, which is which is kind of odd to be to see happen when a guy that looks like he's only 225 pounds or something like that. I think he's got raw potential in that combination. The fact that he's so fast, he's such a big um, you know speedster and can keep a cap on gains to the perimeter, uh, but he also can take on blocks. And talking about like things that are right in front of our noses, um, Simon, you look at the defensive scheme in at Ohio State. It's not a coincidence that we took two linebackers from Ohio State right on top of each other in 2017 and 2018. It's because, you know, this is this is one of the arguments that people had about Roquan actually and even Rashawn Evans is that if you look at their defensive scheme and trying to translate it over to Miami's wide nine, you know, wide split front, uh, it's not a very clean scheme uh, transition. It isn't because uh, the guys in the Alabama type scheme are protected more by their defensive linemen. Rashawn Evans was protected more Uh, in Georgia. Roquan Smith was protected more because that defense is a carbon copy of Nick Nick Saban's defense. We saw that here in Miami. Everybody thought, when Nick Saban came to town, that the defense was going to not fit Zach Thomas very well, that he was made by Miami's 4-3 defense with the two defensive tackles, keeping him clean and, and all that. And what, what ended up happening? Nick Saban came here, and he had his defensive front. He had two-gap two style defensive front uh, on uh, up front, and Zach Thomas really had probably two of his best years of his entire career, certainly two of his most productive years in his entire career. And one of those was just, you know, flat out an amazing season. So we see that this, uh, that defensive style can protect a player a little bit. And so if there was one thing, one thing to, to hang in the back of your mind about Roquan Smith, it was, you know, what's, what's going to happen when he gets into this. Now I thought the player was going to transcend the scheme differences because Roquan is just a special player. But with Jerome Baker, you don't have to wonder as much because, you know, Ohio State does not protect him. Ohio State does not protect their linebackers like you see at other programs. And you see, uh, you know, responsibilities between Raquan McMillan and uh, and Jerome Baker back in 2016 that are going to look like the responsibilities that they'll, they'll have in Miami. And mm-hmm. so you, you've got plenty of tape of him having to take on blockers. You know how he's going to react when that's going to happen. So you get it's sort of like having your cake and eating it, too. You get the speed linebacker. You get the play, you know, the playmaking and, and all that speed and the sideline to sideline ability and the coverage uh, when we get down to it. But then you also have a guy that has experience in your scheme and can come over and translate immediately. And the good thing is as well, these, these two guys, Raycon and, uh, and Baker have, uh, have played together. They understand each other. They know how each other plays. You know, you look at the, we good talked point. about, you talk about Shiano and, you know, you look at the way you, you know, we all watch the film and you look at the way Ohio, Ohio state play and how they set their linebackers up and they play a, different way with their linebackers depending on whether it's run or it's pass. traditionally go with three linebackers lined up in the gaps looking to stuff to stuff run plays and that's how shiano and even before that uh, who's the dc before Fickle. luke, Fickle, Fickle. Yeah. luke Fickle, yeah i mean that's how the, the you know they they bring a guy up to set the edge which which would often be chris worley and uh, and force guys back inside to the running backs uh, to the to the linebackers 
And you've got these athletic linebackers like Baker, like Raekwon, who essentially serve in a way as, uh, I, I don't know, for but box safeties, I suppose, without actually bringing in a box safety because they're so light on their feet, slightly under, well, certainly in Baker and Darren Lee's uh, example, slightly lighter on their feet. And you see that a lot against teams that, you know, against Penn State with McSorley or Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield, you know, quarterbacks that like to scramble a bit. That's how they played. The, the other way that they, they played it was was specifically on passing downs. And they would bring in the box safety, whether it be Damon Webb or whatever, uh, and leave simply leave Malik Hooker uh, as the, the, the deep center fielder. And that usually meant that, you know, they, these guys were, were playing sort of shallow zones. Or if it was a run, then they were, you know, or they had a running quarterback then. Baker or, or Darren Lee before would, would be used as a spy and everybody else would play tight man on the outside. And I think part of the problem, perhaps with Baker's slightly less uh, or slightly more disappointing 2017, was that, you know, you look at some of the characters that they lost on that defense. They lost Malik Hooker and they lost uh, the kid at corner whose name totally escapes me. And, you know, the, the, they lost four or five players to the NFL last season. You can understand that the paucity of talent disappearing had an impact on Baker's play and also not playing alongside his his trusted running mate in Raekwon McMillan, who he will now be reunited with. And I think that only really bodes well for the Dolphins. Right, grade A, uh, grade quickly, boys, on, on days one and two. I'm going to go a uh, very solid A-minus for our first three picks. What are you going for? I would say a solid B+. Plus. Nice, Chris. I mean, I, I have to go with an A. I, th- these guys don't have to take the exact person that I would have preferred at each pick for me to say that they've had a successful draft or that they've, they're really nailing it. Uh, but the first three picks remind me a lot of 2012. I mean, they just rolled off three straight guys that, you know, I like that I've been following for a long time. Uh, so I, I, I give them a solid A. Uh, an A, an A minus and a B plus. I think we'll, um, we'll go with that. Right. Still to come. We're going to look at day three of the Dolphins draft, but first check these dudes out. On the latest edition of the Five Reasons Podcast, Ethan and I go over the latest NBA storylines and try and figure out how the hell the Indiana Pacers took the Cavs seven games. I mean, this was the team that was pushing the Cavs. A star player who was traded twice in one year. A point guard who was a backup for the Kings two years ago. For the Kings. The third guy was arguably the least talented of the two Bogdanoviches. (laughs) They had a power forward, and Thad Young was on his fourth team in five years. And then they had Lance. Okay, <laughs> who who since who since he was last with Indiana has played for five teams. I mean, that's not that long ago, Chris, that he was in those series against the Heat, right? Hey, like, can the, I try and name them? So he's in Memphis, mm-hmm. Sacramento, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did he have a stop with a New York team? Was he in Brooklyn? I think he was with Minnesota. But what? I'll I will, I will well hold on hold on hold on, so, hold on. <laughs> to the basketball I, reference page. Be sure to subscribe to the Five Reasons podcast on iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Hey, Chris, why don't you tell the people about the Balls cast? <laughs> don't mind if I do. <laughs> don't mind if I do. Hey, listen up. The Balls cast is a podcast about Miami sports. All Hold kinds on, of Miami man. Hold things. On. Hold on. Cu- fuck. Culture and politics while two dudes smoke weed and sometimes drink a little bit of, you know. But mostly smoking and a lot of talking. It's a good time. 
Football's cast. So you guys should check it out. <laughs> I'm going to pass out, man. Oh, no, I really am. Don't, Ooh. don't, don't, <laughs> don't pass out. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navas. And unfortunately, the Heat have been eliminated from the playoffs because the Sixers and the referees are clearly cheating. Um, jokes aside, we're still going to be going strong. Every Monday, look for new episodes of the Heat Beat Podcast. We're going to be going into the Heat's future, past, and present, as well as going around the league. And we're going to be guest heavy throughout this postseason run. So check us out at MIA Heat Beat on Twitter and Miami Heat Beat on Facebook so we can keep you posted on what's to come. Welcome back to Three Yards Per Carry in association with Chris Whittingham and Ethan Skolnick at the Five Reasons Sports Network. I'm Simon Clancy, along with my friends Chris Kaufman and Alpha Artiaga. Boys, um, five picks on day three, a tight end in uh, Durham Smythe from Notre Dame, a running back in Caleb Balazs from Arizona State, uh, Cornell Armstrong, a good-looking defensive back from Southern Miss, who flew really under the radar, uh, Quinton Poling, a uh, long-term starter at Ohio, one of the best defensive players in Ohio history. And then we rounded it all out with, with Jason Sanders, a kicker from New Mexico with a with a massive leg. Uh, let's start with the tight end. We, we, we talked up Mike Jasicki before the break. Let's talk down Mike Jasicki before we talk up Durham Smythe because what Smythe does brilliantly is uh, be a terrific player in the run game and you expect that he's going to come in and take Anthony Fasano's place. But that's not the same with Mike Jasicki, isn't it? Is it? So, you know, we've done the good stuff with Jasicki. We probably need to touch a little bit on the bad stuff, which is his blocking. I think Mike Jasicki, if you if you talk about Mike Jasicki and you're talking all positives and, and you don't ever address the blocking, then you're sort of ignoring the elephant in the room. There's a, That's the reason he went as low as he did. And that's the reason the Dolphins kind of circled back around and got Durham Smythe. So that's the context. The context for these picks is really important. Mike Gesicki is really, I mean, you can use whatever words you want there. He is, he has a lot of bad tape uh, as a blocker. Uh, sometimes he looks awkward. He looks like he doesn't even know what he's doing or, or how he's supposed to do it. Uh, it's really odd for him to look that way, considering, you know, the coaching. We, we don't think that there's bad coaching at Penn State, so you really have to wonder about it. Um, his blocking looks a lot to me like Dennis Pitta's did when I when I was watching him out of BYU, and this was another guy that was really a, a poor blocker. Jordan Cameron as well when he came out of USC, he was actually a wide receiver. I watched him up close. I watched both of them up close at Shrine practices um, back in 2010 and saw them from the sidelines. I also saw Virgil Green uh, from those Shrine practices. And this was another guy that looked terrible. He did a lot of split zone blocking, which, um, which is what Mike Kosicki does, really. Uh, he does a lot of split zone blocking and those wham blocks in the backfield. And Virgil Green looked terrible doing it. I, I still have visions in my mind of Winston Venable, all of five, five foot 11, 212 pounds of a linebacker, just absolutely dominating Virgil Green as a blocker. And now what is Virgil Green? Virgil Green is a blocking specialist with the Denver Broncos. That's how he grades out. That's how he's used. That's how the NFL identifies him. So, I mean, it's, it's one of these things that's like, you know, do we really, do we really need to place so much emphasis on the blocking when, when that can happen? Michael Agnew, if we have to do a post-mortem on him, it wasn't, he didn't fail out of Miami because of the blocking. He was actually 
ridiculously and very oddly a pretty good blocker in the pre- his final preseason here. It was because he never got it in the passing game. He could never make good on all that promise in the passing game, and we think Mike Gesicki obviously has that. But Durham Smythe now comes in. He's going to come in immediately as the guy that you trust more to uh, be in there as a pass blocker, as a run blocker. Uh, now you can use two tight end sets and not feel bad about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and so I think that I think that he's here to play a role, and it's uh, and his you know his presence plays specifically off of Gasicki's faults. Well, first of all, it's obvious that they took Smythe because Gasicki is such a bad blocker. Uh, Durham Smythe is essentially Anthony Fasano Jr. He's pretty much the same exact guy. Uh, the issue with Gasecki is it's not really of a, I wouldn't say technique, because it's something that you can learn. I think it has to do more with will and want to, if that's even a word. If if you watch him, he just he comes across, I hate to use the word soft, uh, you know, with a professional athlete, but he looks disinterested. He looked disinterested hitting pads at the Combine. Remember when we were watching it? Remember, and we were we were texting back and forth with each other, and we watched them in those drills, hitting those pads, and we were like, "My God, like, like, why would he do something like that in front of any coaches?" And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's bad. But if you watch some of his film, it's not that he's not capable of it. It's just that he lacks some physicality. He's not a physical guy, and you know, and in and if you really think about it. You know, what is Jimmy Graham? Is Jimmy Graham a big physical guy? He's physical. No, he's a back. he's a huge softie nowadays. Yeah. Mm. You know, Jimmy Graham is big, strong, and physical. Yeah, with guys that are 5'10", 180 pounds. But, you know, when he has to stand up a 6'5", 250-pound linebacker, yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, that's who this guy is. So you got to cover up for him. What I found interesting, and I, and I, I hope you guys can touch on it, is what happened to Marquise Gray? Is he really that much out of favor? Mm. I thought the last time he got significant snaps, he played well, you know. And this seems like this draft pick. You use you use the hundred and twenty third pick. You do expect that guy to make the team, you know. Fourth round picks, mm. they're not often cut. You know, they're cut sometimes, but they're mm. not often cut, especially not on a team that you know has plenty of holes like we had. So they're obviously expecting this guy to push Marquise Gray basically right out the door. You know, considering I think Gray they also and, have AJ Derby. What do you guys make of that? I think Gray and Duarte are done because wow. I think they've talked about AJ Derby so much, and I think they see him as the number two, you know, the the backup to Jasicki, and then I think Smythe is the is the blocking tight end. And actually, Smythe is interesting because he's not just a blocking tight end; he can make catches. You know, he can get down the seam. He's I've seen him make some really good catches. He's not going to. You know, he's not going to run past anybody, but mm-hmm. he'll make catches. I saw, saw Lance Zierling's comparison to him was Dion Sims, which I thought was quite interesting. You mm-hmm. know, just a better blocker than Dion Sims. And, you know, Dion had his ability to get down the field and make some catches. He just, you know, sometimes didn't make the catches when you most needed him to make them. Um, to me, Dion yeah. Sims was basically just, you know, a big body, but with really soft hands that could catch the football outside of his frame. Couldn't run a lick. So it's an interesting yeah. comparison. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, we all like Marquise, but wouldn't surprise me if him and if he and Duarte are finished because um, I, I can't see, you know, Smiley's going to contribute fairly quickly, I'd imagine. You know, when he gets in here, I think on rundown, certainly, he's going to be in, uh, 
he is going to be in quite a lot. And we probably have talked about it every week about the, the how they clearly feel about AJ Derby. Um, so yeah, and and Jasicki's obviously making the squad. So we shall see how it plays out. I, I think I would actually have a little bit of a different take on Marquise Gray. I think that he might be safer than you would think. Uh, be, yes, specifically because he can play fullback. They can run he the ball, is yeah. the only he's the only guy that you'd feel somewhat comfortable with being a move blocker. I mean, you look at what Durham Smythe was uh, at Notre Dame, and that's not his game really. He's an on the line, you know, tight end. He's an on the line blocker. Um, I think AJ Derby, you know, former quarterback. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you think that he's a move blocker, you know, a, a fullback like player. I think the only guy really that can do that is probably Marquise Gray. So he might be safer than we think. And actually, for all that they've talked up, AJ Derby, you know, listen, there's talk and then there's walk, right? I mean, for all the talk that they did with AJ Derby, they took two. They didn't take one, they took mm-hmm. two. So that says something about AJ Derby. They talked about him last year too. And you know what they also did? They actually put him out there and gave him chances. And they gave him chances and he generally didn't make good on them, or at least that was my personal opinion watching it. Um, I thought that they really put him in a position to try and utilize his strengths or what they had come to view as his strengths. And he just it just didn't work out. And so they've been talking about him all through this offseason, and they really have been singing his praises. But then when it came to the draft, they went ahead and, you know, it wasn't just Gesicki. They had to go ahead and get Durham Smythe, too. So is this, you know, one of those guys, is this Legadu Nane, you know, essentially? (laughs) A.J. Derby. Is he, you know, they talk him up. They talk him up. He's going to be a starter. He's awesome. He does everything that we want. And it wasn't just, you know, certain beat writers that were talking him up. It was also the the coaches. Um, they they had him as a starter. They had him as a starter week one. But then he wasn't long for the roster because they just realized this guy can't really play. He's never going to make good on what we think he is. And so A.J. Derby, fast forward to the end of training camp, he's a last-minute cut, you know, one among the last cuts. That wouldn't surprise me. I've got a bit of breaking news, actually, um, regarding the Dolphins. And we do owe an apology to Durham Smythe because his name is actually Durham Smith. Oh gosh, yeah, that that sneaky Y T H E in there is actually a Smith. So you know, he like, will he will have to forgive us because we do have an English person on this show, and so we are influenced. Well, <laughs> well I've been calling Kellen Balage Ballage for three years now, so yeah, which brings me and, to Kellen Balage. What do you guys make of him? You know, I'm happy. I've you you should him. start. I've been calling you him for, start. for three weeks. Yeah, you should start. You're the you're the Balage fan. Well, he did have eight touchdowns in one game in 2016. So he has that uh that what, what was the, the married with children? What was the the, the lead character's name? Uh, Al Bundy. Yes. Uh, he had, Al, he had, Bund- I think Al Bundy spent twice the Al Bundy game, but yeah. Well, yeah, because Al Bundy spent. Bundy. Yeah, he spent like 12 <laughs> years saying that he had four <laughs> touchdowns in one game. Well, this guy had eight. Okay. Uh, he does everything well. He really does. He really does. Now there's there's obviously there has to be something wrong with him. He didn't go in the first round, mm-hmm. okay? But you look at his film and his transitions are seamless. He's big, powerful, strong, fast. Uh, catches the ball cleanly. He did have some ball security issues uh, this past mm-hmm. year, and he was passed over and shared some time in the backfield. But if you watch him, uh, there's really nothing wrong with him. 
and his advanced numbers are good enough where Pro Football Focus had him as the number one running back coming out this past year. And that's in the same draft with Saquon Barkley, okay, and Rashad Penny, who, who I also loved. But here's the number. He averaged 11.6 yards after the catch. That was number one in the nation among Power 5 running backs, okay? And that's not, you know, on few targets. That's on a minimum of 40 targets. So he's obviously a great pass receiver. You know, what's not to like? Uh, I think he's well, a perfect complement to Kenyon Drake. And, in fact, I think he's kind of a clone of Kenyon Drake. What do you does guys he have think? Enough, does he have enough vision? Because I don't think he's particularly – I don't think he has great vision to see holes and to um, – <sighs> I don't know. He, he frustrates me at times with his inconsistency. You know, I, I, you look at him. He, he, what is he? Six, two, six, one, six, two, two, twenty-eight. Runs a four forty-six. I mean, he's an absolute physical specimen. But I just there are times when you just think, buck it up in the hole, or there's a lane opening and he doesn't see it. That that to me frustrates me. I think he's he, he's too indecisive, and I just don't think he possesses the sort of the field vision that you'd really like to see. I think that's why he went in the fourth round. Um, and sometimes I just think. You're 228 pounds, man. Knock somebody on their ass. Do you know what I mean? He, sometimes I just think he, he he's far easier to tackle than you, you'd expect a 228 pound guy to, to be. Sometimes he, he he runs over people, smashes you in the mouth. But he just, the whole thing is consistency. He reminds me of Tevin Coleman a little bit. The, the Falcons back up to the, to Devonta Freeman. Yeah, that's um, pretty good. I, 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 do, I do like him, and I think he's a really good value pick. And you know, he's the he is literally the jhi replacement because he's the pick that we got for for jhi from the eagles I, I think he has i think he'll make the roster i think he's going to learn from one of the best players in the game to learn from him frank gore if he can just you know he's not going to get better at vision that's going to be the thing that'll be frustrating you because you know you either have vision or you don't and you can't learn better vision i don't think particularly you know he's not all of a sudden going to become Barry Sanders when he was, you know, walking around with goggles on kind of thing. It's not that he's not going to become, you know, a, a brilliantly uh, a visionary, as it were, when he when he attacks the line of scrimmage. But I think Frank will teach him to become a better all-around player and a more consistent all-around player. Seems like a really good kid. So, you know, hopes are high from him. But I, I think for me, the lack of field vision would be a concern at the next level. I don't know what you think, Chris. I think that um, it's fitting that he's kind of looking like he's going to be the replacement for Damian Williams in the uh, in the rotation, really, at, at running back, because there's a little bit of that there. Uh, he is a physical phenom. I mean, that's that's how he tested, and he runs in the four fours. I think that um, that he's he claims even that he's run in the four threes before. Um, he's a six foot three, two hundred thirty pound, you know, guy. So he's he's really big. If you buy him, if you buy him that he's really good, I think you buy that he's a little bit of a victim of his offense. And maybe um, maybe they did some things there, whether it was all the uh, the Wildcat quarterback snaps. I think he he did that 70 times uh, Mm -hmm. from 2016 to 2017, whether he's a victim of that or whether it's just uh, they never had good line blocking, whether the catch work that he did was, you know, uncreative and and too far behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, you know, that, that sort of thing, it, those things can really, um, make a guy, a running back look bad. And then you turn around and he's a better player somewhere down the road because they're doing better things with him. 
that's what you have to buy if you're buying on Kalen Ballage. Uh, the question that I think Simon and I both had with respect to Bo Scarborough and uh, and Jalen uh, Jalen Samuels is that yeah. his name? Yeah, uh, Jalen Samuels. Um, that was the question I had. He was also those two were also available, but Bo Scarborough, you've really got to get through a lot of medical on him, uh, and there's a reason he ended up going you know deep into the seventh round. And so Kalen Ballage is or Balage, sorry, is a lot uh, is a lot cleaner, and I think that that's one reason that they took him. I wouldn't you know I wouldn't say that he was you know the best running back in the draft or, or close to the best running back in the draft. But at the same time, he's among those running backs that have fallen in the Lamar Miller fell to the fourth round. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's one of those guys that you could look at that and say, you know, that's, you know, he fell to the fourth round, but he was still good. Uh, He can't find back for the Dolphins in the mid to late rounds is doing a terrific job. Because you look at Miller in the fourth, Ajay in the fifth, Drake in the third, Ballage in the fourth. Right, right, exactly. Somebody's that's, home after home that's the trust, after. right? You're going to have it? to trust them on this because they've they've shown they've shown that they can do this, and uh, and particularly, I don't know whether that's uh, that's Adam Ingroff, whether he has, he has a lot to do with that because he clearly had a lot to do with Jay Ajayi, um, and this is also a Western guy, uh, Kalen Balaj. Uh, I know that uh, Ingroff is no longer just covering the West, but. You know, uh, whether that's his influence or, or whoever's influence, you do have to – there's a certain amount of trust here. Um, I think that his receiving is going to be the interesting thing at mm. first, and we're just going to have to see whether – because he showed up at the Senior Bowl. I thought he looked good, mm. you know, as far as as far as far running the football goes and just being a ball carrier, you know. So, so I think you get him into a new offense, totally new environment, that could be – that could be what, because otherwise, I mean, he didn't make people miss at Arizona State. And I know that can happen because of the ways that you're getting the ball sometimes. Um, but, you know, only 13 missed tackles out of 157 or 156 or 60 carries. 18, you, well, you know, different, different services are going to have different numbers. But, um, you know, 13, 15 in 2016. I think that um, that's the problem with him. That's what you have to get through. And it could be completely offense-based. But also, what is he? Because he's ready to go as a, as a pass catcher. You know, he is, he's running. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a mm-hmm. good route runner. Mm-hmm. He is six foot two, 228 pounds. He is another match-up nightmare for mm-hmm. defenses, isn't he? Who are you going to cover? Are you going to cover the 6'6", six, six Mike Jasicki? Is Drake and oh, Belagia on the field? You know, both of them have got great hands. Are you going to cover the six foot two, two hundred and twenty eight pounder out of the backfield that, who can run, you know, great routes in Ballard? Are you going to, you know, Chris? You and I have stood next to Kenyon Drake. That is a big dude. He's a big it? guy. He's a big human being. He may not look at it on the. The paper it, doesn't do him justice. You have to stand next justice. to him. We were like, is that like a defensive tack? You know, is that a DT yeah. or a? I mean, because it's the best shaped DT yeah. I've ever seen. But he is yeah. a he is well put together. Well, let it's me give you a, let me give you guys another runs stat. Four three. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, let me give you guys another stat on on Callan Balaj. He was number two coming into this past year. He was number two in total pressures allowed. He only allowed three in over seventy mm. pass blocking attempts. Okay, so he was second among all Pac-12 quarter, uh, running backs. Now they drafted Durham Smith and Callan Balaj. Do you sense a theme? They want to protect number seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what did they what did they do on the offensive line with Daniel Kilgore? He's a mostly a pass uh, pass protection specialist yes. at center. Yeah, and uh, and Josh Satan, what is he? He's the best 
the best pass protector that pro football focus has ever graded, essentially. Yeah, and now they draft two guys that have very, very good advanced pass pro numbers. And they set aside $9 million for Juwan James all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ballard said he ran 435 at his pro day. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 filth. I mean, the the fast, the speed, that's another, I mean, we're getting through the draft and we're almost all the way through all of the guys, but that's that's one theme that we have to hit on here because speed is all the way through this offseason and this draft. I mean, well, that another, suddenly... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, here's another speed guy. The, uh, this kid, the under-the-radar cornerback that we took in the in the sixth round, we didn't have a fifth-round pick, Cornell mm-hmm. Armstrong, the defensive back from Southern Miss. And I tell you what, you put on the tape of Tarverius Moore, the safety... And flashing and flashing and flashing over and over again is this kid mm-hmm. on the corner. And uh, absolutely, I mean, this is a. I think I think I saw last night Southern Miss with the the 16th best pass defense in in yeah. FBS football. Yeah. Um, and he is a large part of that. Uh, and uh, watch some tape of him today. A couple of games of his today. Went back and saw a couple more Tarverius more games, and you could see mm-hmm. he is tough. He is feisty. He will come up and hit you in the mouth. He has a really good understanding of how to play run, but he's really, really instinctive as a corner. He tracks the ball really well. I mean, uh, the, Greer was really, really thrilled with this pick. I mean, I think the Dolphins thought they'd just really found somebody that nobody else had uh, Almost to the point where they were like, nobody else has spotted this guy, and we've just, you know, is he even eligible? I can't believe this. Yeah. Who else? Why are people talking about this kid? Ran a, I think he ran a 437. Uh, he's a bit undersized. I think he's around 185, 6'1", 185, but he is, he looks a player on tape. He really looks a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think they're, they're excited about him for a reason because the more I started to, to watch him and I'll, I'll admit I plainly, I did not watch him before the draft. So I had to catch up on him afterwards. And, uh, and yeah, I, it's what, what stands out to me is not only, so he will come up and hit you and, He's very aggressive that way, um, or very conscientious, I'd, I'd call it. I don't know if I'd call it like this natural, you know, bull he's aggression. Not but yeah, no, but he, he but he, he's not frightened of anybody, and he knows what to do, and he will go up and do it. Um, but what stands out to me is really when you watch a lot of the Southern Miss is the number of different coverages that they got out of him. Uh, the the kind of uh, coverage technique that they got. I mean, they got they got soft shoe press out of him. They got you know real real genuine press man uh, out of him. They got a lot of a lot of off man from him. They got quarters. They got you know the, the deep thirds. I mean, they got they were doing they were mixing up their coverages a whole lot at Southern Miss. Um, and and he was right there with all of it. And he he strikes me because he's so well experienced. And he's a fourth-year guy and, and has a lot of experience. And you can see it all over his tape that he knows what to do. He's been well-coached, and he's really conscientious about everything that he does. And that's what kind of reminds me a little bit of another guy, uh, Kayvon Webster, that came out of South Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he came out of South Florida, he was, again, another athletic guy. You know, could run in the four threes and and really test well. Uh, a leader type, you know, just really conscientious about everything that he did. And if he's not quite got the size or the talent to be a top tier corner in the NFL, because he models himself after Brent Grimes. They're talking about Cornell Armstrong. Now he models himself after Brent Grimes and you know, he is a Brent Grimes type of player, but you're you're walking. Yeah. Yeah. 
you, you you're walking a bit of a tightrope there if you want to be a Brent Grimes though, to, because because of the size and you know you really have to be very good. So uh, if he's not going to be that good in the end, one thing I'm pretty confident that he's going to be is a good special teams player. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he's that conscien- conscientious. I mean that that's the kind of that's the kind of player he is, the kind of leader he is. You know, um, and I don't know if he was actually a captain, but you watch the tape of him and you're like, well. I could see you being a captain. Uh, so I watched him against Florida State, and he had some moments there. There, they had some miscommunications with the safeties in that game. But there was a couple of play series where you know he comes up. They got that gigantor running back on the Florida State, Jacques Patrick. He's six foot three, two hundred thirty four pounds. He's another he comes dude out to close up, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and and that's He's and, a big and boy. so this guy Cornell Armstrong has to has to come up on the perimeter beat a block and then go one on one head to head with this this animal, you know, gigantic beast, uh, Jacques Patrick. And he did. He got him down. And and the willingness is there, the physicality is there. And then the very next play he has to go one on one down the deep post with Keith Gavin. And it was perfectly defended. Just at, he knocked the ball down. It was a, a PBU. I mean it was it was great. And I put on some other tapes, and he's playing like that, you know, just the whole way. So this is one of my favorite picks. Um, yeah, me too. I think that this guy could really surprise us and be uh, and be an animal. But the thing is that it's not it's not like what they've done in the past, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what have we all been hearing about for two years? All this length at the corner position and what yeah. they're doing. You know, they need lengthy corners, and this is this is what we are now. We're a we're a press team. We're going to do this, um, you know, the press, the press cover three. And, uh, and so therefore we need these big, tall guys. This is not that this is not like, this is speed. Well, so that represents at, a real difference. Look at his numbers though. Look at his numbers and look at the fact that Bobby, Bobby McCain is a free agent after next season. Uh, Cornell fits very much the same sort of, he fits very much the same sort of um, parameters, I suppose, that Bobby McCain did in terms of his numbers. So you look at 5'11", this is his pro day numbers. He was 5'11", 193, ran a 4'45", he ran a 151.10, he benched 18, he had a 38-inch vertical, a 10.5-inch broad jump, uh, and then these are the interesting numbers, a 4'28 short shuttle and a 6'98 cone drill. They are similar numbers to the numbers that Bobby McCain put up when he was at Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think Cornell, you know, jo- I think Jordan Lucas probably on the outs. I think Cornell makes the roster. I think he makes the roster as a backup defensive back, special teams player. And potentially, if Bobby McCain does move on, you are you are looking at your future slot cornerback. I, 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 he's one of my favorite picks in the draft. When I did my little checkbox list of guys that they could go for in this area, I had Tony Brown like as the quintessential Burke type or the quintessential Tannenbaum mm-hmm. or, or especially Greer type. Uh, are you mm-hmm. surprised that they passed him up? Do you think Cornell Armstrong's a better prospect than Tony Brown? Well, it gets to the it gets to the point that I was making that you know in the past, yeah. I mean, the, Tony Brown like this big lengthy corners. That's what we want on the outside. Yeah, Cordrea Cordrea Tankersley. You know, he's a lengthy corner. Um, Xavier Howard. They got him for as a, as a lengthy corner. They loved you know Tony Lippett. They immediately bumped way up the depth chart. Uh, because they liked his length. I mean, it's all it's been all about length. And then all of a sudden, this year, when they look at the corner position, I mean, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, he's not he's not six two. Um, you know, he's going to be a safety, um, but he's he's six foot oh. And and now you look later in the draft, and it's uh, it's Cornell Armstrong, not Tony Brown. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting that maybe maybe there's more changing here with Tony Oden coming in as the defensive backs coach than we might have even thought. And that, that's something to pay attention to. Right. Let's kick on from from Cornell, one of our favorite picks to Chris. I, I suppose this Quentin Poling, the, the, the sixth, the, the first of our seventh round pick, I, I would say probably from your reaction yesterday is probably your least favorite of our selections. Tell us why. Well, a kicker is always a least favorite for me. But um, oh. but <laughs> Quentin Poling, uh, actually, you know, it's he had good testing numbers and uh, and he measured cool. well. Yeah. And in- interestingly, you know, it wasn't just a 458. Uh, it was the jump numbers that are consistent with it. So ten seven broad jump. That's right. And so he had he is uh, he is a good athlete. He's a good athlete. And you can watch him on the tape. He's not a big guy. He's like six foot. Oh, right. And something yeah, somewhere around yeah. there. Um, he's not a big guy. Uh, listen, there's a lot to like about him as far as, you know, he's clearly a defensive leader. He's a captain. He's a, he's a guy that's going to lead you and tackles. But when you pop on the tape and, and watch him, you know, you can watch entire games and just be like, you know, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for you to make plays that, that grab me. And he, I, I, one thing I noticed, he misses some tackles. I mean, he definitely, I mean, and that, that shows up when you're, when you're doing a stat tally of his, of his whole season as well. Um, you know, I think that uh, he, he doesn't cover very well, uh, in my opinion, even though he's athletic. Um, so you kind of wonder, is that, are we getting, are we getting a little bit more of, I don't know who to compare him to, but um, somebody, somebody compared him to Jordan trip, uh, somebody like that. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's sort of what I see. Like the, the, the difference between the measurements and, the statistics, which I think he does have pretty good tackle stats and the like versus actually watching him and not getting very excited about him. But he clearly cares about it, though. I mean, he, he clearly cares about football and he's a hard worker. So when you got that, you know, it's it's nice to start out with. We're probably talking about a special teams guy anyway. So one thing, we'll, one thing we'll see he, how it is. Yeah. One thing he does do well, you touched on it there. But uh, and one thing that we we don't do very well, he tackles. Mm. He does. He's a good tackler. Jerome Baker is a good tackler. Mm. Poling mm. tackles well. You know, he's not always. I think he struggles to get off some blocks sometimes. I think he's he almost waits a little bit too long for 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 the runner to make his. Generally, his instincts uh, sometimes question, and you know he can disappear a little bit. But you know he will wrap up and he will take people down fairly consistent consistently. And that's something I think we've struggled to do. Alfie, you a fan of Mr. Poling? The only thing I know about Quentin Poling is that he went to the school that offered me a walk-on contract. And that he posted a picture of himself kissing an actual dolphin. So for that, I like him. But I think that we're getting a little bit too excited over the 227th pick. I think he's going to be up against it. You know, he's really going to have yeah. to. He's really going to have to be a wonder from the the scouting staff. Is he going to beat out Mike Hull? Because that's his competition. Yes, ultimately. like that's that's probably who he has to beat out. And if we've watched, will he though? Because Darren Rizzi would have something to say about that. Yeah. yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, I mean, that's where he's going to make his break. Will he beat out Terrence Garvin? Wow, the newly yeah. signed guy. From what I've seen of Terrence Gar- Garvin, you know, when when he was playing for the Seahawks, no, I don't think he will. Uh, I think that that's actually a player that you can feel comfortable with in the rotation, and he's also, by the way, a great special teams player. So, you know, Mr. Poling is really up against it because he not only has, you know, guys that he has to get through on the field and be better than on defense. But he has a couple of special teams aces in Mike Hall and Terrence Garvin that he has to get mm-hmm. through as well. Yeah. Did you know, that, did you know that polling was arrested for a 
starting a fight in a pizza shop back in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Officers responded to a call at 1.50am when they saw a large crowd outside the courtside bar and what appeared to be a fight. When police stopped, a male attempted to flee the area, Mr. Poling. He was stopped and found to be underaged, Mr. Poling, and started the fight, <laughs> Mr. Poling. Okay. While officers were identifying that suspect, another male was observed also without a shirt on, which means Mr. Poling <laughs> didn't have a shirt on, and obviously intoxicated, like Mr. Poling, attempted to enter the bar. The second male, later identified as being involved in the fight, started by... Mr. Poling. According to Poling's docket at the Athens Municipal Court, the redshirt freshman was charged with underage consumption of alcohol. Poling led Ohio with 89 tackles. So they snuck in a little bit of good news at the end to cover up all the terrible stuff that he'd just been involved in. So let me get this straight. He was arrested at 1.50 in the morning at a pizza without shop a on, without a shirt bar. on and yeah. drunk. And drunk. And He's making this team. He's making this team. <laughs> Hero. Yeah, that, Hero. that fits, actually. That checks out. Yeah. Hero. Right. We've got all the way through, apart from we're down to our final draft pick. Let's talk a little bit, because we got rid of the Jupiter juggernaut, the worst decision of the offseason. People talk about Landry going, about Sue going, about whoever else has gone. Losing Cody Parkey, to me, was a <laughs> terrible... You know, kickers score points. Very, you know, kickers often score more points than anybody and, else on the team. And people often forget they lose games yeah. very often. When we have a kicker, then we'll go, oh, pfft. you know, when we've got a good kicker, it's great. If you're Justin, if you're a Baltimore fan, there's a lot of bad things about being a Baltimore fan. But you know that once you get to the 40 yard line, you're guaranteed three points because Justin Tucker's absolutely automatic from 57 and in. Yes, he is. What do we think? What do we think about Jason Sanders, our new kicker from New Mexico? Well, all I know is that he was 25 of 35 for his career with a, a high of 53. But everything that everybody says about him is that he has a monstrous leg. But what strikes me as odd is that they met with Eddie Pinheiro. And Eddie Pinheiro is like, you know, everybody loves Eddie Pinheiro. Everybody knows who he is. He's one of the best kicking prospects, at least in the last since Aguayo. And we all know that didn't work. How did that work out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, at least that's his reputation. You know, so I was, I was kind of, I was floored, really. I was, you know, I wouldn't say I was devastated. You know, it's just a kicker. But like you said, they they do lose games and they do win games. But yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was confused by it. To be honest with you, I was really, really confused. When when that Let's... pick came up, I was certain. Like if somebody would have said quickly, a hundred dollars, Eddie Pinero right here, I would have said yes. Let's go. But let's not forget that, that that Rizzi is one of the best and most well-respected special teams coaches in the NFL. And we know from two years ago when he when we picked up Andrew Franks that from a university that none of us has ever heard of, RPI. Yeah. You know, and I mean, who the hell is Andrew Franks? And Franks, you know, had his moments, some inconsistency, but he also, you know, he also booted a sixty-yarder in the snow to beat the Bills to put. <laughs> into overtime in a game that we then won. Yeah. Um, I trust Darren Rizzi. And this kid, I was telling you just before we came on air, that, that you know, yesterday evening after the draft, I sat and watched a five-minute video of him working out in Texas. And he placed the ball on the on the, uh, the the back of the end zone, facing the goalpost. So all he could see, instead of being able to see two, he wasn't out of front, he was at the side. So all you can see is literally one goalpost and that have a, what was it, two inches, three inches wide? And he put one, ball down after ball after ball after ball. And just kicked, doink, straight off the upright from 30 yards. Put it back down again. Doink, next one straight off the upright. No video tricks, next ball down. Doink, try, take 10 balls down to the park and or to the you know football field and see how many you can kick from the back of, from the side of the end zone into the 
if you get two, I'd be surprised. And and you when you say see how many you can kick, you really mean it for me because I might miss it altogether. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but he was just you know, and, and then he would put the ball down. He he took field goals. I think from fifty eight, sixty four, and seventy. I mean, these things were straight. They, they, these were like Tiger Woods drives back in two thousand. I mean, these were off the, the you know the front of the club. 300 yards, I mean, waving goodbye to 300 yards. These these kicks at 58, 64, and 70 straight through the uprights. I mean, this kid has got an absolute howitzer of a leg. So you're I mean, saying what, you that know, he's really, really, really good at hitting the ball off of the upright. That no, doesn't inspire <laughs> confidence, to be honest but with no, you. But what, no, what I'm saying is that he's incredibly accurate. If you're okay. kicking, a, if you're putting a ball down and trying to hit a three-inch target from 35 yards, and he's doing it time after time after time, that is accurate. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not a kicking coach. I don't know. I, I don't understand, the, especially the snap and the hold. But certainly in the last 24 hours, reading up about some of the, you know, the nuance of graduating from college kicking to NFL kicking is that the differences that, that our new man will, will find with a professional, with, you know, with uh, what's his name? It's completely, his name is completely a snake. Yeah, a long snapper who's been on the team since 1854. <laughs> John um, Denny. John Denny. Yeah. And, uh, and the holder. You know, I think a lot of those issues that he's had with accuracy will be ironed out. And he'll never have worked with, with Darren Rizzi before. And he's one yeah. of the best in the business. I would not be surprised if this kid doesn't develop it because he's got an absolute monster leg. And touchbacks, he led the nation, left, led the FBS the last two seasons in, in touchbacks. There, there so, it is. There's yeah. the only thing I really even care. You're trying to talk about kickers, like, and we're, we've already gone way too long about kickers, in my <laughs> opinion. But, you know, you're trying to get me to be interested and get me to bite on this subject. And the only thing that, that I'll bite on, the only thing I'll talk about is this man can hit a touchback. And this man can, can boot it on the kickoff you know, a long distance. And that's the, the thing that I care about. I think that, you know, as far as hitting field goals, all of it, you know, across the league is generally streaky. Um, it, it's almost, you know, it's almost random at times. Uh, you have guys that are, that are great. They're great. They're great. And now they're terrible for some reason. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to figure out. I trust Darren Rizzi, uh, mostly because I don't want to get into it myself. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll trust his judgment about the guy. The thing, the only thing I care about, the thing that I like that I hear is that, you know, he can really, he can really, uh, you know, get the ball way down on kickoffs and, uh, and get a lot of touchbacks. So, um, Chris, Chris, before you take us out, a couple of questions. Do you think he's okay. been handed the the job already, or do you think they're going to bring in another kicker? And then one thing to, that both of you can touch on to see to take us out in is did they draft an offensive or defensive rookie of the year this year? Mm. Well, I think you know first off the question uh, did is he is he guaranteed the job or is it the UDF? They actually did guy and get a guy undrafted uh, to compete with him already. Uh, I couldn't care less. Uh, the second question, uh, <laughs> you will care when we're lining up for a 50 yard yeah, in the playoffs. Yeah. So, so of- you say, I'll still be, I'll still be whining about the fact that we didn't get third down. Um, so kind of, kind of said today that they'll definitely bring in a veteran kicker to compete with him. Okay, sure. So, uh, do we have an offensive or defensive rookie of the year? That is, that is a great question. Um, no, I don't think we have an offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I think that Mike is. I think the whole the whole approach on offense is going to be too rotation based, mm-hmm. for for there to be that sort of production, um, unless you know Kenyon Drake we know to be an injury prone player and Frank Gore is 57. So 
Um, I think that suddenly Kalen Balage can find himself thrust into uh, an interesting situation. Um, but otherwise, no, no offensive player there. Defensively, as far as rookie of the year, I mean, it's everything is about Minka Fitzpatrick. Does he get rookie of the year? As a free safety, as a deep center guy, um, you know, in order to do that, you've got to probably pick up five or six interceptions. And I think that with his range and his ball skills, especially we didn't even talk about, I don't think, as much uh, the ball skills that he has, because that's one of the big arguments in his favor. Yeah, yeah, he actually has a chance at that. He has a chance at being, you know, he's going to be thrown on a lot. as a, If he does a lot of uh, nickel work and a lot of star um, like he did it in, with Nick Saban or, or as a free safety, he's going he's gonna to have opportunities. So if he has that kind of range and that kind of ball skills, yeah, he could, he could get there. I think Fitzpatrick could be, could be a defensive player, uh, rookie of the year, absolutely. And Jasicki, you know, he might not be offensive, but Jasicki will he'll catch 50-plus passes this season potentially. He's got that potential in him, um, and he could score a, a megaton of touchdowns. So don't sleep on these guys. I, I, I think um, – I'm just sorry. I'm just my attention was. I just saw Chad Forbes, the NFL draft bites guy, gave the Dolphins an F in his final draft grade. <laughs> I mean, is, is that not some of the most ludicrous nonsense? Well, Kuiper gave, gave him a C plus among the worst yeah. draft grades in the in the league. Yeah, Forbes has a few bones to pick with how Miami's been operating this off season. I mean, what a what a clown. Yeah, yeah, that's a clown. Of course, now, to answer my own question, yes, Callum Balazs will be Offensive Rookie of the Year. He'll have 3,000 yards from scrimmage and 28 touchdowns. <laughs> All right, Chris, take us off. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we want you to keep listening to us on three yards per carry. We will be releasing another podcast this Thursday morning, so be on the lookout for that. Again, we are part of the Five Reasons Sports Network with Ethan Skolnick and Chris Whittingham. They release their own Five Reasons podcasts uh, about two or three times a week, so you can always look for that. And we're also affiliated with the Balls cast and Miami Heat Beat. And so we want you to listen to all those guys. Pay attention to us on Twitter. I am at CK Parrot. Simon is at SI Clancy. And Alf is at Uptown Report. We also have the new... Uh, Twitter account for the three yards per carry uh, podcast. That is at three. That's the number three yards per carry. So you can follow that and we'll answer your questions. We will, we do regular Q and a sessions on Twitter every week. Uh, so you can always find us there and find out what's going on. Uh, but until then we'll, we'll see you on Thursday morning, but everybody have a nice evening, have a nice week, be happy. Miami had a good draft. We all love it. Uh, and we don't have many complaints, uh, which is unusual. Thanks for listening to three yards per caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean or your usual podcast provider. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line. 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.